0: You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of James. Here's Nate. No one would expect to come into contact with a powerful electric current without some kind of transaction occurring. You receive that jolt of electricity, that electric shock. And so it is with the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you interact personally and relationally with Jesus, there is a change. There is a transformation. There is an evidence that begins to unfold in your life. In short, contact with Jesus changes us. And that seems to be the point of the message that James is communicating here in the second half of James chapter two, a section of scripture, which is often misunderstood, mostly because James in this passage says things that almost seem to contradict the rest of the new Testament. James will say in the verses to come faith by itself. Verse 17, if it does not have works is dead. He'll say in verse 18, I will show you my faith by my works. In verse 19, he'll say, even the demons believe and shudder. In verse 20, he'll accelerate this theme by saying faith apart from works is useless. And verse 22, faith was completed by Abraham's works. And verse 25, Faith apart from works is dead and probably the most controversial of all of the things that James said in verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now to look at those statements in isolation could cause someone to think that James is contradicting the rest of the New Testament, specifically the apostle Paul. Time limits us to read or to consider every verse in which Paul espoused salvation by faith. But listen to just a handful. Galatians 3, verse 24. Paul said, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Not justified by works, he says there in Galatians three twenty four, but justified by faith. Philippians 3, verse 9. Paul stated that his desire was to be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on, he says, faith and not works. Romans 3, verse 28. We hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. In Ephesians 2, verse 8, one of the most famous passages, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And on and on, Paul would state for us that salvation, justification... Uh, being made righteous in the sight of God is not given to us by works, but it is given to us by faith that we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And Paul's argument, of course, was that this has always been the pattern of God. Go back to Abraham, Paul would state in Romans four, verse two and three, he would say Abraham was justified if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And he quotes from Genesis Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul later writes, if it was counted to Abraham, those words were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead, Jesus, our Lord. Before Abraham had a chance to do any works, before he offered Isaac on the altar unto God, before any of that, God made Abraham an incredible promise And Abraham believed God for that promise. And the Bible tells us that it was counted to him as righteousness. And Paul uses that to exemplify justification by faith. And so when James comes along and starts saying things like, A person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Some people think that we have a bit of a biblical controversy between James and Paul. That somehow these men would have... Uh, not have been friends in their contemporary ministry to one another. But the important thing to understand is that faith is absolutely important to both of these men. James has already told us in this very chapter that he wants us to be a people who are rich in faith. And I think the book of James is really a book that is all about an active brand of faith. And works, on the other hand, were incredibly important to Paul. Right after stating in Ephesians 2, verse 8, that we've been saved through faith, Paul stated in Ephesians 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in faith them and what appears is happening between the two of these men james and paul is twofold one is you need to picture james and paul on the same team they weren't fighting each other face to face but they were fighting back to back in other words james as he looked out was fighting a different group than paul Paul was continually battling against legalists, people who were trying to add to the gospel works for the sake of salvation and righteousness, a pharisaical, uh, judaistic style of legalism, legalism that added on certain works, things like circumcision that they would add on to faith in order to say, listen, you can believe all day long, but you have to do these things in order to truly be saved. And Paul rejected them. And and by the way, so did James. In Acts chapter 15, James supported Paul and gave the final word at the Jerusalem council, which stated that in fact, Gentiles did not need to convert to Judaism in order to be saved. Paul was targeting, fighting, battling the legalists. With his back to Paul, James was fighting a different camp. Not the legalists, but the laziest. People who had received the Lord, had been justified by Christ, but were doing nothing. And so both of these men, in their epistles communicate salvation comes not by faith and works salvation comes not by faith or works but salvation comes by faith that works a real genuine faith is going to evidence itself in fruit in people's lives now on top of all of that it is probable that james and paul are using similar words in different ways. Faith, justification, works seem to be used in different ways with some of these men. For instance, the word justification, Paul seems to use it more exclusively as a word to designate salvation before God. Paul seems to use it in one sense to describe a proof of faith to man. And so works are what justify us in the sight of man, they can see that something real has happened inside of us. Well, that's enough of me and my background and some introductory thoughts to this section. It's a tricky one, and so that's why I mentioned some of these things. But let's just jump into the text because the Word has so much power here in this, in these verses in front of us. He asks a question to begin this section in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works. Can that faith save him? Now James knows how to grab our attention once again. We have certain sayings that we hold to rather closely as believers. Things like Jesus is Lord. We would give a hearty amen. And another one of them is salvation is by grace through faith. And so James asks this question, you know, is a faith that is void of works, can that faith really save him? And I wonder here if James is questioning not the power of faith to save, but the reality of a faith that does not work. Is, is that brand of faith, even real faith, I think James is asking. In other words, I think James is saying that the fruitless life isn't a description of the Christian life or the life of a believer. Jesus said in John 15 verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus isn't looking for empty profession, but he is seeking to make new birth in someone's life. Life And so basically what follows here is that James is going to answer this question in verse 26, but he's going to illustrate this question. Can that dead, defunct, does nothing faith save a man? He's going to illustrate it with five examples in the 11 verses that follow. And these examples help us see the kind of faith that we want to demonstrate in our own lives. The first example is concerning the taking care of practical needs in the lives of others. He says in verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. Now this is one over-the-top illustration uh, from James. It's hard to imagine someone actually seriously attempting to do something like this. You've got someone who's a believer. They're in the body of Christ, in the church, and they come in. They're poorly clothed, barely able to clothe themselves. They're cold, almost naked, and they're lacking in food for that day. It's not that they don't have a cupboard full of food. It's that they don't have food for that day. And he says, if one of you goes up to that man, says, listen, I I have something that I'd like to, to share with you. And all you do is say, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. I mean, it's just a ridiculous thing. We understand that without giving them clothing, they won't be warmed. And without giving them food, they won't be filled. Words aren't enough, is what James is saying. But the person says, go in peace, be warmed and filled. And he says, if you do that without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? This kind of faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's using here an illustration that is so wild. And of course, in one sense, James is telling us that he believes that we're called to be a people who are a good working people you see this of course in titus chapter 2 and 3 when paul gave directions to young titus on how to minister to the people on the island of crete he explained to them that the gospel makes believers zealous for good works titus 2 14 but he also encouraged him to encourage them to devote themselves and to learn to devote themselves to good works. Titus three, verse eight and three, verse 14. But what James seems to be doing here is not so much giving an exhortation that we should do good, but he seems to be making an illustration. He says, verse 17. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works is dead. In other words, if you use words and there are no actions attached to them, you know, this guy who comes in poor and poorly clothed and lacking in food, it won't help him a bit. And if you say that you have faith, that's all there is, is just words, but there are no actions to back it up. What good is your faith in reality? Solo faith, James is saying, without works is really just Dead faith. That's what he announces. If it does not have works, it is dead. It either never lived in reality or it now lies in practical terms dead. It's faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Now, in example number two, James seems to hold himself out as the example in verse 18. He says, But someone will say, you have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, the question here is, who is this someone, and what is he saying? And there are different uh, interpretations that are out there. I think the correct interpretation here is that here you have this person, they come along, And they say in response to what James is announcing, they say, you have faith and I have works. And what I think James is saying is that there are some who would say, listen, you know, it's just a matter of emphasis. Some people are works people some people are faith people, we all have our specialty, we're all different, different strokes for different folks kind of thing. You have faith, James, and I have works. It's just kind of the the way it is. But James announces in verse 18, giving himself as an example, he says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And I think in one sense, James is saying that living faith, real faith, genuine faith, it is something that's easy to see. He says, you know, you can say all day long that you have faith, but show it to me without your works. It's near impossible. But I'll show you my faith by my works, James announces. There's a wonderful story in the early part of Jesus's ministry from Mark chapter 2 where Jesus was ministering in the house of Peter's mother-in-law there in Capernaum. The house was crowded because Jesus had, in previous days, worked many miracles, and Jesus was in the home teaching. There were some men who apparently found a paralyzed man on his bed or his stretcher and brought him to Jesus. They discovered real quickly that there was no room to bring Jesus Uh, bring this man in to see Jesus because of the crowds. And so they went onto the roof of the home. And because the roofs in those days were made of the clay and the earth that was around them, easily replaceable, they broke through the roof and they lowered the man down to Jesus. And it's so fascinating because it says that Jesus, when he saw their faith, said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And then after a dialogue with the religious leaders said, Take up your bed and walk. In other words, Jesus, he looked at those men and he saw their faith. It would be one thing for them to say, I believe that Jesus can heal. But it was very obvious that they believed that Jesus could heal by bringing their friend to the roof of the house and lowering him down to Jesus And the people in our lives, they want to see our faith in action. It's one thing to say, I really love people so much, but you'd rather have others say that they really do love people so much. It should be evidenced within our lives. Now, the next example James uses from the demonic world. He says, verse 19, You believe that God is one, and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So James gives them a bit of a compliment here. It doesn't last very long. He says, listen, it's wonderful that you're monotheists. You believe that that God is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One And he says, wonderful, good job. You believe that? You do well. And then the second he gives them that uh, wonderful little uh, encouragement, he says, you know, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? His third example, you know, first from this really silly story of a man coming in impoverished and hungry and someone saying here, this will make you warm and this will make you full, be warmed and be filled. All I'll give you are words. The second illustration is from his own life. I'll show you my faith by my works. But here he says, listen, even the demons believe and shudder. It really is interesting when you study the Gospels, to discover how the demons were very much on point and accurate theologically. Mark chapter 3, they announced to Jesus, you are the Son of God. They spoke about a place of torment called the abyss in Luke chapter 8. They understood his authority in Mark chapter 5, and in Matthew chapter 8, they made a request not to be tortured before the time. They even had good last day's doctrine. It's one thing to be theologically correct. That's fine, and that's good, James is saying. But living faith, real faith, alive faith, is so much more than just simply theologically correct. We're not just to shudder like the demons, be moved emotionally like The demons. We're not supposed to hear a sermon and just say, man, that was so good, so moving. No, we're to uh, allow our faith to be activated so that we then to begin to do uh, for the Lord. We're to have good theology, but Good works as well. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 2, If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Yeah, I can understand all mysteries. I can understand all all knowledge. But without love, I am nothing. I must act out upon the faith that is with me. In. Living faith is more than simply theologically correct. Now, in our fourth example, in verse 21, James really pulls out the big gun. You know, and when I used to play baseball, the fourth hitter was the cleanup hitter, the power hitter. And Abraham steps up to the plate now, and James writes in verse 21, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? When he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now, of course, James is referring to the events of Genesis chapter 22. Now, in Genesis chapter 22, it's important to remember the timeline of Abraham's life. God had previously spoken to him years earlier. Listen, Abraham, as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, so shall your descendants be. I will be your exceedingly great reward. Abraham believed these things in the past, and it was accounted him for righteousness, past tense. But the thing about those promises is that Abraham was expecting to have offspring. At the point of the promises, he had no children. After years of waiting, eventually Sarah, his wife, recommended that he take her servant girl, Hagar, and have a child with her. And they did, had a child named Ishmael, Abraham believing that Ishmael would be the fulfillment of God's promise. God rejected Ishmael, and eventually, miraculously, Isaac, years after the initial promise, was born to Abraham and to Sarah. He grew up in the home and eventually a day came in as Isaac had grown older, perhaps an older teenager or a young man. It says that God spoke to Abraham in Genesis 22 to test him and said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and offer him upon the mountain of which I will show you. And so Abraham set out on a journey to Mount Neriah and brought his son, brought some wood, brought some fire, brought a knife. Isaac actually asked, Father, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham announced to him, the Lord himself will provide a lamb or perhaps even more literally spoken, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. And that lamb was Jesus, of course. They get there to the top of the mountain. Isaac is bound, perhaps very willingly, like Jesus. Abraham had the knife in the air. And at that moment, the Lord speaks to him. Abraham, Abraham, harm not your son. And Abraham looked over into a thicket and saw a ram caught in the thicket. And the Lord indicated to him this would be the sacrifice that he would offer. God never wanted Abraham to go through with that sacrifice, but he wanted to prove the uh, faith that had resided inside of Abraham's heart. And so Paul, when he refers to Abraham and his life, he refers to the moment where Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness before circumcision, before Isaac, before Mount Moriah, and all of that. Paul used Abraham to teach the priority of faith. But James here is using Abraham to teach the proof of faith, that before men, his faith was justified. You might say, well, I think he's a man who believed God. But after the incident with Isaac in Genesis 22, you would say, I know he has faith in God. His righteousness was demonstrated, even though it had already been declared by God. That's why James says things in verse 22, like you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Living faith, it's active, it completes, it is fulfilling, it does something. And I love this faith from Abraham. It was radical faith, wasn't it? So radical that we learn in Hebrews chapter 11 that he actually believed because Isaac had yet to have children and God had indicated that through Isaac uh, the promises would be fulfilled. He believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. That is faith. And it tells us at the end of verse 23 that Abraham was called a friend of God. People who walk by faith and not by sight, people who trust God no matter what, like Abraham, They're a friend of God. You see, verse 24, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And I think that that statement now, as we've built it up to this point, has a great context to it. We don't need to rip it out of its context and use it for something else. We need to use it appropriately. James is saying, listen, demonstrate your faith. Live out your faith. Show us your faith. Finally, his last example, briefly in verse 25. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Rahab, of course, in the early parts of the book of Joshua, was a woman who was of the city of Jericho and she housed. The spies that Joshua had sent into the land, she covered for them and protected them. She announced to the messengers that everyone's heart had melted as a result of the story or the knowledge that the people of Israel were marching towards the land of Canaan. But her fear caused her not to fight against God and against his people, but to fear God, to reference God, and to receive conversion inside of her life. And she was saved and placed firmly into the lineage of Jesus Christ. Living faith fears God, not man. For verse 26, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead dead that's the answer to the question that james had asked at the very beginning when he said can that faith save him james announces and says as the body apart from the spirit is dead so also faith apart from works is dead let us be a people who demonstrate our faith god bless you and amen thank you for listening For additional resources and teachings, or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.